Amen. Thank you for all the wonderful music and everything that we've experienced this morning. It's been wonderful. Take your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Luke. Luke chapter number one this morning. The book of Luke chapter number one. Luke chapter number one. Today we are beginning a new series of messages entitled Our Coming Savior. Our Coming Savior. Today is the first uh, Sunday of December and uh, we're excited about what God is going to be doing. And as I uh, make our way through the month of December and we prepare for Christmas uh, this morning and, and for the consecutive Sundays, I want to take a, a, maybe a, a different advantage uh, viewpoint of the scriptures and Christmas and all that it has, uh, that's entailed. And I want to take kind of a more historical approach to it. Uh, I know many times we talk about, you know, Christmas and we talk about the manger and we talk about all the events surrounding the manger and all those things which are very important and pivotal uh, to the Christian life. But there are so many other things that are pivotal to the Christian life uh, in advantage to uh, what is taking place uh, in the book of Luke and, and uh, all the way through as we talk about the birth of our Savior. So we're going to kind of look at that. This morning, uh, we're going to look at Elizabeth and Zechariah. And uh, each Sunday, I, I thought it would be interesting if we took an approach um, as we, after we read the scriptures and we pray, we're going to watch a short, it's only about three or four minute video of maybe what it would have been like to have been in the scenario that we're going to talk about this morning. Um, and uh, you'll see that in, in just a moment. Names can influence who we are. Uh, how we're treated by the world around us. Names can influence our behavior. If you don't think that's true, ask any man who just started going by the name Grandpa. Right? It changes your whole perspective. Changes your whole outcome of who you are to be called Grandpa. And uh, names in the Bible have great significance. The naming of a child not only is meant to identify the individual... It also carries with it destiny, it carries with it a character trait, it carries with it a rich symbolic meaning. And when we think about names and we think about the importance of our name, you know, you think about whenever you were having children or whenever your parents were having you, you know, they didn't just uh, uh, come up with the idea of a name and just go, well, this sounds good or this looks good for most of the case. They did a lot of research and they did uh, uh, looking. I remember in naming our boys... Uh, when we had our first son, Gideon, we started looking through the Bible. We wanted to be a biblical name. We wanted to be a strong biblical name. And so we started looking at, uh, through all the word of God. And then, then we started thinking about uh, our fathers, my wife's father, my father, and uh, just began to put names together because it is your heritage. It is who you are. Today we're going to study an amazing story and how that one man paved the way for our coming Savior. If you have your Bibles, if you'll stand with me and turn to me to Luke chapter number one, and uh, we're going to look uh, together. Luke chapter number one, we're going to start reading in verse number 57. Luke chapter number one, and we're going to start reading in verse number 57. The Bible says this, now Elizabeth uh, full time came that she should be delivered, and she brought forth a what? Son. She brought forth a son. And verse number 58, and her neighbors and cousins heard how the Lord had showed great mercy upon her, and they rejoiced with her. And it came to pass that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they called him Zacharias after the name of his father. And his mother answered and said, not so, but he 
shall be called John. And they said unto her, There is none of thy kindred that is called thy name. And they made signs to this father how he would have them called. And he asked for a writing table and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they marveled all. And the Bible says, speaking of Zacharias, And his mouth was opened immediately. And his tongue was loosed. And he spake and praised God. Verse 65, And fear came on all that dwell around, around about them. And all these sayings were noised abroad throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all they that heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Let's say our prayer this morning. Father, we love you. Lord, we're thankful today that we have the opportunity to worship you. We're thankful today that we have the opportunity to learn about your word. And today we're going to look at the story of Zacharias, Elizabeth, and John. As John paved the way for our coming Savior. And today I pray that we'll be encouraged, that we'll be, that we'll be challenged, that we'll be strengthened. Lord, maybe even we'll learn a few things this morning. As we think about this season and time of Christmas... And how very special it is. And I pray today that it will not just be a time that we give gifts and that we receive gifts. But that it will be a time that we focus on the Savior. The one who came. The one who was born. The one who is the Savior of the world. Lord, we love you. But most of all, we thank you for loving us. For it's in your precious and holy son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be
I've been there in those very moments. You see, in this video, we saw Zacharias share with Elizabeth the name of their promised child. And it would not be the last time he would write his son's name down for others to see. You see, when family and friends assembled for this exciting birth, they assumed, as, uh, as did Elizabeth in the video, that the, me- the naming of this firstborn son would follow uh, Jewish tradition, which was to name him Zechariah. They assumed he would be named after Zechariah, after his father. However, this special child who fulfilled both uh, uh, the spoken prophecy while extending hope would be given another name, and his name would be John. What an what amazing change. What an amazing, drastic moment. As you can imagine, as Elizabeth is absorbing all this information, and then her husband says, no, his name is not going to be Zacharias. It's going to be John. And how pivotal and how important that would be to the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because as you know, uh, uh, John was literally uh, uh, fulfilling the prophecy that he would be the one that paved the way to Jesus Christ. This is prophecy in its finest form. In the book of Isaiah, and we'll see that in a little bit, it's, it's prophecy in its finest form to realize that what God says in the word of God to the very point and to the very T, it always happens. It's always true. And God fulfills his promises. And just as he fulfilled this promise to Elizabeth, he will fulfill the promises that we also have in our lives. Each of the names of this little family, which is a great thought of three, has rich significance that helps shape the story of hope and expectation. Zechariah's name means God remembers. Elizabeth's name means God is my oath. And John's name means God has been gracious. What a great thought. God remembers. Certainly, Zechariah knew that God remembered him. Elizabeth's name means God is my oath. Certainly, she understands the oath of God. And then John, the, the child, means God has been gracious. Why has God been gracious? Because he was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And the graciousness that would happen because of a baby that was born in a manger who lived 33 and a half years and went to the cross and died for you and me. God indeed remembered his promises and the prayers of his servant Zechariah. God did indeed make an oath to his servant Elizabeth. God sent an angel, a messenger, to share words of assurance with Zechariah in the temple. God's word to Zechariah and Elizabeth's word was the words of power sealed with an unbreakable oath that would come to fruition through Elizabeth. The oath was fulfilled when John was born. Indeed, God has been gracious, just as the name of John claims in the definition. Now, before we can experience all of this, we've got to get some background. Before we can experience Zechariah singing at the top of his lungs for the first time since learning of his impending fatherhood, we need to go back to the beginning of the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. And that's what I want to do today in the few moments that we have together, kind of give you a background of how all of this happened in Zechariah and Elizabeth's life. It is only after we see how this joyous day came to be that we can have a greater understanding and appreciation for the names of Zechariah, Elizabeth, and John. If you're in the habit of taking notes, uh, there's an outline on the back of your bulletin. First of all, their marriage. Their marriage. Speaking of Zechariah and Elizabeth, their marriage. This is 
Uh, and if you're not a person that enjoys history, well, uh, I'm sorry. Um, this is very interesting to me when you begin to learn the backgrounds of the biblical characters. Because, see, what we have a tendency to do is we have a tendency to get tunnel vision. And we see the, the, the story, and it's the story that's all familiar to us. Jesus Christ being born in a manger, and we see all that happen. But there's so many things that surround that that make it important to us as Christians and it makes it important to us as we live our Christian life. And one of those is Zachariah and Elizabeth and how their marriage came to be. Uh, Luke chapter 1, we have to go all back to Luke chapter 1. But Luke chapter 1, verse number 5, the Bible says this. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abia. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both what? righteous. That's important. That is a very important tell to this story right here. And they are both righteous before God. Look what it says. Walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. What's the next word? Blameless. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a great testimony. They were righteous. They walked in all the commandments and they were blameless. Verse number seven says, and they had no child. Because that Elizabeth was barren. And they were both, or they both were now well stricken in years. So uh, here's Elizabeth, here's Zechariah. And back in the Bible times, it's so important that you have children. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But here's Zechariah and Elizabeth, two people that were righteous and upright before God, doing all that God had told them to do, and yet they were barren without children. That word barren, uh, in a biblical sense, we don't like to use that word uh, in today's uh, society because of the significance of the word. The word barren actually uh, gives uh, 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 credence to that of a land that has no, uh, uh, it has no crop. They call that a barren uh, field. It cannot grow crop. And so they would call ladies that could not have children barren. And then they would say that the reason that they were barren is because someone in their family had sinned. Or maybe they had sinned so that they could not have children. Let me tell you something this morning as a, uh, a preface to this message. That is as far from the truth as possibly could be. Listen, it, it, God, God has a plan for each one of us. And, and I know that sometimes we look at our lives, for those of you that, that are single, and you say to yourself, boy, I wish that I could get married, and I wish that God would send somebody my way that I could marry. And, and, I could look, and, I, and you begin to look at people's lives, and you begin to compare yourselves and say, boy, I wish that God would just do that in my life. Listen, that may not be God's plan for you. And as a matter of fact, let me encourage you in something. If you try to force it, you might find yourself more miserable then than you are now. And then there are others that are couples and, and they so desire to have children and, and they try and they attempt and, and, and it seems like without all cause that, that it's just not going to happen. And you begin to get upset at God and you say, God, I'm doing everything right. I don't understand why you're allowing this to happen in my life. What have I done wrong? May I remind you that God knows exactly where you're at also. 
God may not desire for you to have children of your own because there may be other opportunities for you to minister to other people. There may be opportunities for you to do that which I believe is very honorable and through adoption. There, there are many other options. Can I tell you that God, listen to me very carefully, God has a reason for everything. He has a reason for everything. First of all, their backgrounds, their backgrounds. They were both from families of priests. Now, this is significant. Uh, in biblical days, fellow pre, uh, Jewish people held priests in very high esteem. And being a priest married to a wife of priestly lineage was a double honor. So we have a double honor situation going on here. Verse 6 says that Zechariah and Elizabeth were viewed by their peers as the epitome of what it meant to live lives of Jewish devotion and faithfulness to God. Although there was a rich social reward that came with being a couple who modeled Jewish uh, piety with priestly lineage on both sides of their family, there was still a deep sadness associated with their life. You see, that was their background. Then there was their barrenness. Their barrenness. Now, you say, Pastor, I, I don't really understand this. I, 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 want you, I want you to think about in your own life. I can remember, and, and many of you know our story, my wife and I. But I can remember the time after our oldest son was born and the seven years between our oldest son being born and our middle son being born and losing three children in the, in the process of that. I remember the emotional toll, especially on my wife, that it took. I remember uh, the, the, the hardship. I remember the, the laying in the bed and crying. I remember uh, uh, literally the, the sadness that surrounded all that. I remember the hospital visits. I remember laying there. I remember my wife looking at me and saying, why is God allowing this to happen in our lives? I remember all of that. And so if you could just for a moment uh, transcend yourself to understand where Elizabeth is at in her life, she, she feels like that God has forsaken her. And here she is of the lineage of a priest, and she's married to a priest, and yet there's great sadness in her life. I want to tell you something today, and I, I want to be very cautious about how I say this, but I want to be very forthright in it. Listen, just because someone can stand up and put on a show doesn't mean everything that's happening in their life is grand and great. Are you with me? I believe with all my heart there's a broken heart behind every door. I believe that there are that people show up to church and they show up to events and they put these big smiles on their faces. But if we could get real deep inside, we would find out that there is brokenness and there is heartache. And listen, that is why the church is supposed to be a refuge. That is why the church is supposed to be a place that we come and we love each other and we fellowship with each other and when we care about each other and we lift each other up because there's enough brokenness in this world already. And that's exactly where, where Elizabeth was at. Her husband was a priest. Her husband was highly honored. Her father was highly honored. And here she was, literally, in the deepest sense of depression over her barrenness. And now, not only that, you add on top of that her age. Her and Zechariah both have, have gotten up in age. And there's a struggle because there's no children. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 7 is that, and they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in age and years. To equate infertility with sin is not plausible. 
You see, in biblical days, to be childless brought sorrow and often shame. Many would speculate, I wonder what sin must have been committed for God to punish them like that. But according to the description of Elizabeth and Zechariah's lives in verse 6, they were righteous. I want you to listen to me this morning. We ought to be very careful. We ought to be very careful in our own mind, and our own hearts, how we begin to judge other people. When they begin to go through situations and circumstances in their lives, it's be easy, very easy to point fingers and say, boy, I wonder what they're doing wrong. When in fact, they may not be doing anything wrong. God just may be testing them. God just may be using them. You say, Pastor, can you prove that? Absolutely. Because here we are in 2015, December the 6th, and who are we talking about? We're talking about a man and a lady who God put through a test, and then God answered a prayer in a mighty way. You see, may I remind you, if Zechariah and Elizabeth would have given up, if they just said, you know what, we're going to throw in the towel. Zechariah said, I'm no longer going to be a priest. Elizabeth said, I'm no longer going to be associated with my lineage. And they gave up on God. Today, we would not be talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. But because of their faithfulness, God was faithful to them. Number two, their miracle. And I'm going to hurry. Their miracle. They had a miracle in their lives. Little did Elizabeth know her destiny would be wrapped into her own name, God is her oath. God would promise her a son. Elizabeth was about to join the ranks of her ancestors who also had stories of infertility that were turned around by the word of the Lord. Elizabeth knew this. Maybe she had forgotten. You see, the covenant promised by God to Abraham and Sarah parallels the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth God remembers, and God gave the oath to this couple. Not only was God gracious to them, but also through them, or through them, he is gracious to all people. You may be here this morning, and you may be wondering, has God forgotten about me? Has God forgotten who I am? Can I tell you, God has not forgotten. He is still the same gracious God. What we have to do is we have to learn to be, uh-oh, this is a tough one, patient. Patient. We don't live in a patient world. We live in a very microwave society where if it can't be done in just a couple of minutes, it might not be worth doing. And can I tell you that God, listen to me, this is very important. We love to claim this verse all the time. We say, well, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Can I tell you, he is. And if you read the word of God, you'll find out that he loves to make people wait. He does. As a matter of fact, he's got a whole verse about it. But they that wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He is that same God. We are the ones that have changed. We have got to be people that are willing to wait on God for what he's going to do. This is one thing I know. We, we had this Thanksgiving celebration. We all went out of town with my whole family and everything. And we got there. And uh, Thursday morning came around and all the girls got up and they began to work in the kitchen and then they employed all the guys. I don't know how that happened. We all got into the kitchen and about 10 o'clock in the morning, it started smelling real good in that little condo that we were in. By noon, you could hear the growls. 
And my little Samuel walks over, and this is what, he grabs me on the leg, and he says, Dad. I said, yeah. He said, I can smell it. It's time to eat. And I said, Sam, it's not quite, done. It's not quite time because the food is not quite ready and done. Can I tell you something this morning? Sometimes we get to the very end of our means. We get to the very end of where we're at. And we think to ourselves, it has to be done. It has to be over. And God may be saying, just wait just a little bit longer. And I will show you the plans that I have for you. Galatians chapter 4 says, For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate have many more children than she which hath a husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of what? Promise. The children of promise. With the birth of John, everyone would soon be able to celebrate the advent of the Savior. All Jewish mothers hoped that their sons might be the promised Savior, the Deliverer, and the Messiah. First of all, letter A, the announcement. This is where it gets really interesting to me. And I enjoyed studying this again. The announcement. Luke chapter 1, verses 8 and 10, the Bible says, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, uh, his lot was to burn, we're talking about Zechariah, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Verse number 10, And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. So Zechariah goes in to, to uh, burn the incense. Everybody else is on the outside and they're praying for Zechariah. Zechariah was an old priest who served as a member of the priestly division known as Abijah. In 1 Chronicles chapter 24, we see King David organizing the priest into 24 divisions that would serve in different rotating capacities. So uh, uh, just quickly here, and I won't, I won't labor on this, but here King David is. He's got all the priests, and he divides all the priests up in 1 Chronicles chapter 24 uh, into 24 uh, divisions that would serve in different rotating capacities. Scholars estimate that during the time Zechariah served as a priest, there were approximately, you ready for this, 20,000 Jewish priests among the 24 different divisions. 20,000 priests among the 24 different divisions. One of the more noble duties that occurred twice a day, morning and late afternoon, was the burning of incense on the altar inside the holy place of the temple. The way such a responsibility was signed was by a method known as casting lots. So, you have thousands of priests divided up into 24 divisions. And then each division gets a chance to be uh, uh, the one that's called upon to burn the incense. So within their division, there could be several thousand priests. So what do they do in order to choose who's going to go in and actually burn the incense, which was the highest of honor for them? They did a method called casting lots. What does that mean? Think in terms of drawing a name out of a hat to see who among the hundreds of entries might be selected for a special prize. It just so happened, by coincidence, that Zechariah was chosen on this day. I don't know how it happened. I mean, they reached in the same way that they had done many times before. And on this particular day, they just happened to pick the name Zechariah 
to, to, to go in for a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to preside over this holy priestly duty that Moses spoke about and is recorded in Exodus chapter number 30. Now, in Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 20, we see what happened on the day that Zechariah was chosen to experience this. this. If you've never studied this, I really want you to get it because this is an amazing story. You ready? Luke chapter number 1, verse number 11. And there appeared unto him, Zechariah, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah goes in. I'm a very visual person, so you'll have to excuse me, all right? So Zechariah goes in, and there's the altar of incense. And he is getting ready to prepare to, to burn that altar, burn that incense. And all of a sudden, an angel shows up. Now, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Zechariah is in there. He's probably nervous. Everybody on the outside is praying for him. And an angel shows up on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah's there. The angel shows up. And when Zechariah saw him, of course, he was troubled. He was so troubled. And and fear fell upon him. So Zechariah is in the midst The angel shows up. Now, why would Zechariah be fearful? If you go back to the Old Testament, if you remember, when the priests would go into the Holy of Holies, they wore bells around the bottom of their garments. And the reason that they wore bells around the bottom of their garments is so that when they walked, it made noise. It rang. But if a priest went in and they had sinned or they had gone in unworthily, the Bible says God would strike them down immediately. So if the bell stopped ringing, he also had a rope attached to him. If the bell stopped ringing, somebody on the outside would grab the rope and pull him out. It was a serious deal. So here's Zechariah knowing all of this, and the angel of the Lord shows up. Zechariah is full of fear. Fear fell upon him. But when the angel said unto him, fear not. Boy, we've heard those words before, haven't we? Fear not, Zacharias. For thy prayer is what? Heard. And thy wife. Now remember, Zechariah has not read this, okay? He doesn't know what's coming. He is sitting there ready to burn his incense, and the angel starts talking about his wife. He says, Fear not, Zechariah, thy wife, thy prayer has been heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son. And by the way, you're gonna call his name John. I'm sure Zechariah is listening very carefully now because now, listen to me, he has transcended out of the spiritualness of the moment of what's happening and they've tapped into an emotion of family. And he said, in his mind, I'm sure he said something, my wife. My wife is going to bear a what? A son? And and his name is going to be called John? John? And thou shalt, look at this, and thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. And he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost. Look what it says. Even from where? His mother's womb. This is very important and significant. We'll talk about it in just a moment. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. And he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias or Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the disobedience, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a, a people prepared for the Lord. Verse number 18. And Zacharias said unto the angel, now this is where it gets interesting. 
Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man. And my wife, she's not old. She's just well stricken. That's important. My wife is well stricken in years. So Zechariah said, how can this be? I'm an old man. And there's no way my wife's going to be able to bear a son at her age. And the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God and am sent to speak unto thee and to show thee these things, or these glad tidings. He pronounced himself as Gabriel. Verse 20. Because you doubted, Zacharias, thou shalt be dumb or not able to speak until the day that these things shall be performed. Listen. Because thou believest not my words, which shall be fulfilled in their season. Boy, oh boy, what a moment just happened inside the temple. As he was going to burn incense, the angel shows up, telling him he's going to have a son. And Zacharias questions it, and now he's not even able to speak anymore until John is born. Then there's the awkwardness. The awkwardness of the situation. What was, what was so awkward? Well, what's awkward is, is that he fin- he's doing the incense, and there's all these people outside waiting on him. This is not supposed to take that long. So all the people on the outside are probably getting a little concerned. What's going on? But it's interesting as you parallel stories as we have the whole Bible that we can see that there was some other awkwardness. Zechariah kind of gets a raw end of the deal here. You see, the angel of the Lord appears and says, you're going to be a father. Zechariah says, how can this be? I'm an old man. Then Gabriel says to Zechariah, because of your unbelief, you do not get to speak until the baby is born. But we fast forward a little bit. A chapter or so later, the angel of the Lord appears to Mary. Remember Mary? The, the mother of Jesus. And the angel comes to her and says, you're going to be a mother. And Mary says, how can this be? And God didn't take her voice away. As a matter of fact, uh, she said, how can this be? I don't have a husband. And the angel said, hey, that's okay. And you get a free choir performance out of it. <laughs> the heavenly hosts begin to sing. Right? You say, pastor, what are you trying to say? Here it comes. You ready? Men. We are to be the men of our families. We are to be the rock for our families. And if God tells you to do something, the only response is yes. It's yes. When you think about it, that is one huge timeout that God gave Zechariah. I mean, if you're a parent, you probably put your kids in the corner or sent them to their rooms for five or ten minutes or so. And for a kid, that five minutes seems like an eternity. Well, Zechariah, he got nine months of punishment for his unbelief. The truth is, is that all of God's words can and should be believed to come true in their appropriate time. From the beginning, God has been authoring a story that leads to salvation, that leads to deliverance and rescue for all people who will call upon his holy name. This is what Christmas is all about. 
It is about the advent or the arrival of God. He's, fo- uh, he, he's following through on his promise and oath to bring a deliverer, a Messiah. He's bringing a people who are in darkness into a new day of marvelous light. Lastly, and I'm done, their message. What was their message? It was an amazing message that they were able to send out. Elizabeth and Zechariah, both from a priestly lineage, were about to give birth to a baby who would grow to be a prophet named John and would be the gracious provision of God. John would be the fulfillment of gladness and joy for Zechariah and Elizabeth, as well as the fulfillment of prophecies of the Jewish people and that they had been waiting on for centuries. He would be that person, that man. First of all, it was a prophecy fulfilled. It was a prophecy that was fulfilled. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse number 3, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness. He's speaking of John. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that is exactly what John did. This was a message of hope. The angel of the Lord was bringing to Zechariah to turn, uh, to share with his bride, to in turn to share with his bride and eventually the nation of Israel. Letter B, and I'm done. The proclamation is understood. The proclamation is understood. The people understand what is happening. John was instructed to abstain from wine and strong drink so that he might be instead filled with the Holy Spirit. Now this actually ties back to the Nazarite vows from Numbers chapter number 6 that explain how the prophets of old who were consecrated at birth for the Lord's work were to be instructed and raised. And so the people understood the importance of him not drinking wine or strong drink. The fact that John was to be filled with the Holy Spirit while in the womb is language that connects with the way prophets were spoken of in the Old Testament. Luke is emphasizing the dawning of the new messianic era as a time of the renewal of prophecy. Now, there's not a Messiah of Aaron's lineage, which is where Elizabeth is from. However, in John, who would later be known as the Baptist or the baptizer, the priestly tribe does contribute to the fulfillment of the messianic hope they have all been longing and waiting for and praying over for centuries. Luke chapter 1, and I'm done, says this. And it came to pass that as soon as the days of his ministration were accomplished, he departed to his own house. And after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and hid herself five months, saying, Thus hath the Lord dealt with me in the days wherein he looked on me to take away my reproach among men. God heard her prayer. Our video that we watched picks up after verse 23, where Zechariah is depicted at home trying his best to share with his wife what in the world took place during his week at work. And it took some time, but before too long it became clear that hope had been restored. And an advent of a prophet with a prophecy to fulfill and to foretell was on the way. Elizabeth's sadness, her shame, and her stigma would soon come to an end. Zechariah's silence would be broken with a song that would be later known as the Benedictus. The prophet of the Most High would be a cousin and forerunner to the Most High God come to deliver his people just as God had promised. Can I tell you something this morning? The Savior is coming. The Savior is coming. Listen, Zechariah and Elizabeth began to pave the way through their faith with John. 
And over the next few weeks, we're going to see the Savior is coming. Can I tell you something this morning that as we think about this Christmas season, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior, there is no greater season in time to be able to share the truth with someone else. To be able to tell them that the Savior has come. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, today you can make the greatest decision of your whole entire life. Or maybe you're here today and you've been wondering, does God even know who I am? Is God even hearing me? Is God listening to me? Should I throw in this howl? Should I give up? May I remind you, if Zechariah and Elizabeth had done that, Over 2,000 years later, we would not be talking about the two of them. This is what I want to tell you. Don't give up on God because he has a plan.